Hello, you're listening to On Israel, Almonio's podcast from Tel Aviv. This is Ben Gaspin. Is Israel ready for a democratic administration? How will Benjamin Netanyahu deal with a president named Joe Biden and a democratic administration in Washington? To what extent will the changes in Washington influence Israeli policy and its standing in the Middle East and the world? And how will they affect Israel's efforts to prevent a nuclear-powered Iran and block its hegemonic ambitions? This edition of On Israel will address these questions and discuss the impact of Trump's departure on his BFF in Jerusalem, Benjamin Netanyahu. We will try to answer what is perhaps the most intriguing questions. Will Netanyahu and Israel pay a price for years of total dedication to the Republicans and neglect of the Democrats? As some of you may remember, Netanyahu and his government publicly embarrassed Vice President Joe Biden by announcing the construction of hundreds of housing units in East Jerusalem on the very day that Biden was visiting the city. That incident resulted in a deep crisis with the Obama administration, leading then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton to personally reprimand Netanyahu and the administration to impose a series of sanctions against him. Ultimately, Netanyahu emerged as a winner. He managed to soften the American ultimatum, evade most of the sanctions and survive Barack Obama's two terms without a single concession to the Palestinians. The same cannot be said of the Iranian issue. Obama signed a nuclear agreement with Iran much to Netanyahu's anger and despite his best efforts to prevent it, including going behind Obama's back to address Congress on 2015. So the question is, will President Biden be an updated version of his former boss, or can we expect a different presidential style? To what extent will Trump's ouster impact efforts to deny Iran nuclear capabilities? Will Biden reverse his predecessor's policy on the Palestinians, try to revive the two-state option, and restore decades of critical U.S. policy on the settlements, which are so dear to Netanyahu's heart? Our guest today is Jerusalem Post Chief Editor Yaakov Katz, a Chicago native who moved to Israel some 25 years ago. He is a veteran journalist and analyst, an internationally published columnist and author of three books, two of which are particularly relevant to our conversation, Israel versus Iran, The Shadow War, and Shadow Strike, Inside Israel's Secret Mission to Eliminate Syrian Nuclear Power, about the 2007 Israeli raid that destroyed Syria's nuclear reactor. Katz was an advisor to Yomina Party leader Naftali Bennett and a Neyman Research Fellow at Harvard, where he also taught as a guest lecturer. Jerusalem Post Editor-in-Chief Yaakov Katz will be with us right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. 
If you haven't done so already, visit us at lmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon Elmonitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our Elmonitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Very happy to say now uh, shalom to the editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post, my colleague and friend, Yaakov Katz. Shalom, Yaakov, and thank you for uh, joining us in uh, On Israel, Al Monitor's podcast. Ben, it's great to be with you. So explain to me whatever happened the night that Joe Biden was pronounced the president-elect, in a prime minister's mansion in the Balfour Street in Jerusalem. Was Netanyahu happy, depressed, pleased, cautious, worried, mixed emotions? What do you think the prime minister is feeling towards this uh, historic uh, outcome? Well, I I would have loved to be a fly on the wall uh, that night, but uh, as I'm sure many of us would have liked to. But I think that He's definitely torn, right? Netanyahu knows Biden for decades. Biden's track record on Israel is solid and it goes back 40 years. No one can question his support, his support of Israel, support of Zionism, support of the Jewish people and his personal relationship with Netanyahu, which goes back many, many years, right? On the other hand, Netanyahu developed a very strong relationship with Donald Trump, a relationship where he very much aligned himself with Trump and with the Republican Party. And Israel, as a a result, has paid a price. It's paid a price within the the Democratic Party. It's paid a price among liberal and progressive Jews, which make up the majority of American Jews today. And Israel is not liked very much in those circles and in the circles that surround Biden, those advisors, graduates and alumni of the Obama administration, people who remember Netanyahu's speech to Congress in 2015, the slap in the face. And I know you, like me, whenever we speak to Democrats, even today, we're five years later, they still mention that speech in Congress. That's a scar and it's, it's a trauma for them of what Netanyahu did. So he's got a problem. He's got an uphill battle and he has to work already now because he should have been doing it for years, but definitely now to repair those ties, to try to bridge those gaps. But uh, if, if you're talking about this, and I agree with you 100%, what do you think about the fact that Netanyahu was, the, I think, the last uh, uh, significant leader to congratulate uh, Joe Biden? It took him a half a more than half a day after everyone, Modi from India, and of course, Great Britain and France and Germany, and then came Netanyahu. I'll tell you something, I was watching this happen live, and it was just shocking to me. You saw Modi in India, Boris Johnson in the UK, Macron, Merkel. I even saw the president of Kazakhstan tweet out, right, his congratulations to Joe Biden. Remember, the, the, the announcement by the networks in America came out before 7 p.m. in Israel. Netanyahu's official congratulations on Twitter, in which he didn't even call him president-elect, right, just my friend Joe, um, came out at 7 a.m. the following day, over 12 hours later. And you have to ask yourself, why did Israel wait so long? 
What took so long? The way, you know, we all know how it works in America. The networks call the winner. Usually the guy who loses concedes. And in this case, obviously Trump is not conceding. But after you had Macron and Merkel and Canada and Spain and every country congratulating, why did Israel not do it? And I think what it shows is a, a real fear of what Trump could potentially do to Israel in these remaining two and a half months. Netanyahu genuinely fears retribution from the US president, which by the way is telling about their whole relationship until now. If he's so scared of Trump, what, what does that mean about their whole relationship to begin with? But also it shows that he, he's not understanding the problem, I think at least, of where we are today with the Democratic Party. Israel always likes to say that we have a special, unique alliance with the United States. And I think we do. And I think you'll agree with me, Ben, that it's one of the pillars of our strength. We need that special alliance. And we need that bipartisanship relationship. But, but that's fraying at the sides everywhere. Netanyahu has contributed to it. What's happening in the Democratic Party has contributed to it. There's a lot of players here. But we have to be extra careful and cautious right now. And sadly, I think what we saw in that one little example of something so so simple and so, you know, not even such a big deal. Just just tweet out congratulations, a quick mazel tov, right? But but even there, we, we can't get it right. And and that's that that's a problem. Maybe it's not only fear from uh, whatever Trump can uh, can do to, to us in, in the remaining uh, weeks. Maybe Netanyahu is still uh, expecting another present or guest gesture. You know, it was a four years feast that Netanyahu and the Israeli right uh, celebrated with this president, maybe he, he still wanted something, wants something from him. Yeah, look, I think it's possible. You know, there's a lot of talk still of more Arab countries in the Gulf that might come to the table and normalize relations. Uh, there's the arms deal that we know that Benny Gantz, the defense minister, went and has met with his uh, US counterpart, Mark Esper, already three times just in the last month. So. There's a lot going on definitely behind the scenes, and there's potentially stuff that Israel could get from the United States in those remaining uh, two and a half months that Trump still has in the Oval Office. But I still think that at the end of the day, we have to look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that the Democrats now are taking over the White House. They are going to be in control of the House of Representatives. And depending on what happens in the two runoffs, there's two races now that are having runoffs in Georgia for the two seats in the Senate. If the Democrats win those, right, because in the first race that neither candidate got over 50%, so they're doing a runoff. If the Democrats win, they will have a majority in the Senate. Israel will be facing the three basic branches, right, of will be controlled by the Democratic Party. Israel has to build bridges now. It already has some. Some have been lost, but it needs to work very quickly and, and, and intensely to be able to repair those bridges so it has who to work with. And, and, and that's something you can't gamble with right now. Yes, I, I agree with you hundred uh, percent, but uh, let's now dive into the, you know, the details. Many analysts, uh, even here in Israel, are not so sure that Netanyahu, if he could uh, vote in the United States, would put a, a, a Trump vote because, you know, this president is, unexpected and you know that the, the second term in, in uh, for an American president is a lot more dangerous to Israel from the first term and you know that he wanted a Nobel Prize and he said in his own voice that he's going to engage Iran 
in negotiating and after seeing what he, uh, how he dealt uh, the negotiation with North Korea, maybe it's better to stay with, you know, the, the guy you know, uh, Joe Biden for 40 years and uh, not gambling uh, on, a, on a Trump second term. What, what is your opinion on this issue? No, by the way, I think what you're expressing is a genuine concern, and I hear it here in Israel. I hear it from, from, from Israeli officials, and I also hear it from friends of Israel, even in Republican circles in Washington. If you take, for example, the Iranian deal, right? So Trump's whole strategy was when he pulled out of the deal, he wanted them to come back to the table to negotiate a better deal, as he called it, right? So far, they haven't done that, and he's put in place what's known as the maximum pressure campaign of sanctions. But the thinking was, at least in the administration, was that if Trump wins a second term, the Iranians, which who are under such immense pressure, will not be able to continue. They'll have to come to the table. They'll have to negotiate a new deal with the Trump administration. But in Israel, there was real concern. What would that new deal look like? Because as we know, Trump, he'd be looking for a quick win. Would he really be willing to dive into the details and ensure that all of Israel's concerns are accounted for? I'm not so sure. And I think that Israel was worried that it would just be maybe cosmetically a better deal, but in the substance, not. And I think that that was definitely a concern. There was a concern the same with Biden. What's Biden going to do on Iran? And we don't really yet know. We know that he was obviously part of the Obama administration as the vice president, supported the 2015 nuclear accord with the Iranians. He's spoken about going back into the deal. He wants to modify it, upgrade it, make it better. What exactly does that mean? We also don't know. But if there's any lesson I think here is from for Israel is that you want to get involved, right? As you'll remember, and, and I know you wrote about this at the time, one of the big problems in 2015 was that we weren't even at the table. Yeah. We, we were not invited. We, weren't, we had no influence over what was happening. And that was because we decided to fight it instead of try to influence it. And that was a decision that Netanyahu made. We could argue whether it was right or wrong, but that's history right now. Now the opportunity exists to make to influence. And I think that influence needs to begin right now. And, you know, Ben, you'll remember in 2016, after Trump won, remember there was that one day that Ron Dermer, Israel's ambassador to Washington, D.C., showed up at Trump Tower in New York when the transition team was still, they were just meeting there. They hadn't even taken office yet. This was like a few weeks after he had won the election. Why was Ron Dermer at Trump Tower? And it was in the press. He was, it was photographed there. Because you want to start influencing the, and lobbying the new administration even before they take office. So that means that time starts now, right? The clock is already ticking. And Netanyahu or whoever his emissaries are right now, I don't know that they'll be so happy to see Ron Dermer, for example. That's why Gilad Erdan might have to step up, right? He's now the UN guy, but maybe soon he's supposed to become the Washington ambassador as well. But Israel has to start reaching out immediately to Biden and his people. Do you think Netanyahu should restart his own strategy, for example, not uh, sending one ambassador to, to uh, the UN and Washington combined? He needs a full-time job ambassador in, the, uh, in Washington, D.C., and maybe not Gilad Erdan, who is a right-wing uh, politician, but someone the same, the same way Netanyahu did in the first Obama term when he sent Dr. Michael Oren an American-born that could, you know, reach uh, uh, to the guys in the in the White House, and secondly, how do, do you define the, the hangover that we are now uh, finding our, ourselves in with uh, Ron Dermot that worked? Actually, he was a White House worker 
He could speak to the president or, or to Gerard Kushner on a daily basis. And now we have to start all over again. It's not simple. Right. Now, first of all, I think, you know, I kind of agree with you that this idea of appointing one person to be at the UN and in Washington is, is strange. It doesn't sit well with me. Uh, we're talking about the two like arenas that are of such critical importance for the state of Israel. What happens at the United Nations and what happens in, in Washington, DC. How one person can navigate that. And, and don't get me wrong, I think Gilad Erdan is smart, he's talented, but this is, this is a tough, tough place to be. And to, to have to manage both of those at the same time, is going to be complicated. I think if Trump had won, even if Dermer were to come back to Israel, he still would have been very much involved behind the scenes because you wouldn't want to give up on the, those relationships that he's created. But now that he's not there and the Democrats will not want to see him because he's almost like a persona non grata in Democratic circles because of what he did during the Obama years with, with Netanyahu, uh, Erdan has an opportunity to come into Washington and really maybe start a clean slate, but he needs to be completely focused on Washington to do that and to be going back and forth on the Acela Express between Washington, D.C. and New York City every couple of days. That, that's not going to help Israel. Right. So I think we do need two people who are full time in both places. Um, but listen, we, we know why Gilad Erdan got that position, right? That was politics. And Netanyahu needed to move him out of the way so he could appoint someone else to be a minister. It was, he wasn't thinking about what, what this country needed. He was thinking about how do I get another ministry for another Likud crony of his? And, and that's, what, that's the problem. And maybe get rid, uh, rid of a, a potential rival here. I want to, to dive into one of your greatest uh, expertise, the, the Iranian issue. Uh, I, I spoke about your books before, but one of your, your most successful books was the Israel versus Iran, the shadow war. And now you, you spoke before about the possibilities of the negotiation between, uh, uh, renewed negotiations between the administration and Iran. But there is another possibility, and I, I hear a lot about it from Israeli defense uh, officials and intelligence officials. What will happen if the Iranians uh, will decide, you know, with the, with the back to the wall, that they are, they are now leaving all the treaties, uh, the international obligations, and just, you know, storming towards the, the bomb? This is a nightmare scenario for us. And the question was, will President Trump attack and use military force. And if he won't, what can we do? We can find ourselves totally alone in this, uh, in this uh, scene. And now we have President Biden. What do you think the scenario, the legitimate uh, or logical scenario with President Biden giving an Iranian decision to, to declare a war and go to the nuclear bomb? Look, uh, it's, a, it's a serious concern. And the Iranians, we already know, based on Israeli intelligence, and, and they say it openly, if they decide to build a nuclear bomb, they could have one within a year, right? They, they have enough uranium, they have the capability, they have the technical know-how. If they decide to do it, they could do it, right? They just have yet to make that official decision to build the bomb. So they're just creating all the capabilities to one day and the ingredients to one day do it. I'm of the opinion, and I think, I, I think you'll probably agree with me. I'm more, I'm more, I'd be interested to hear what you say. But I think that Israel ha would have no choice but to take action. And I think that if we look at past right, uh, examples, and there's two. There's the bombing of the Iraqi reactor in 1981 when Menachem Begin was prime minister. 
And there's the bombing of the al kibar reactor in 2007 when Ehud Olmert was prime minister. In, in the first case, Begin, the world did not want, obviously, Israel to do anything, and Israel did it without telling anybody. In 2000, and it was condemned, by the way, by the Reagan administration, which suspended the delivery of fighter jets and even let an anti-Israel resolution pass at the UN Security Council. In 2007, Omer brought the intelligence to Bush, shared it with him, wanted America to attack. America decided not to, and Omer said, if you won't do it, I have to do it, and he did it, at the risk of a possible war, but he did it. And I think that here you have the two examples when Israel has no choice, it does have to act. Iran is obviously a different scale, more complicated, farther away, multiple targets, extremely complicated to carry out as an operation. But as I'm sure you hear from intelligence and military officials, it's doable. It's doable to cause enough damage to set them back for a year, two, three, I don't know. But if our back is up against the wall, right? Not the Iranians, like you said, if our back is up against the wall, we have no choice. We have to do what we have to do, whether it's Biden, whether it's Trump, whether it's someone else in the in the White House. And I think, you know, the, the bigger question here is what would Netanyahu do if he's still prime minister? Because, Ben, you've written about this a lot, right? There were two instances in, I think one was 2010, one was 2012, when Netanyahu thought about doing it, yeah. convened cabinet meetings to do it, and then at the end, back down, because there was opposition from the defense, you know, chiefs at the time, and the IDF, Mossad, and, and elsewhere. Um but if he really wanted to push it forward, he could have, but he backed down. So the question is, would he have the guts to do it, to take that risk, to go up against a U.S. administration, to take his country possibly to a war that it's never experienced, even if, it, if, if that's what's needed? And you know Netanyahu much better than I do. I think, you know, in uh, 2010 and 2012, he, he just choked because uh, with all res due respect to the to the uh, opinions of the, the defense chiefs, he was the prime minister, he still is. If a prime minister in Israel wants to attack, he will attack, he will uh, convince the cabinet ministers and, and take the decision, and he didn't. But I wanted to speak to you on another incident, I think 2010, when a, a vice president Biden visited Jerusalem and in the middle of the visit, it was announced about, you know, hundreds of uh, housing units are going to be built in Ramat Shlomo, and there was a huge scandal. And I think the vice president even considered leaving, leaving Israel and going back to, to the United States. And he was one and a half hours late to the, to the official luncheon in the, the prime minister's house. And this was a very big crisis. And then uh, we can uh, remember the, the, you know, the treaty between Trump and Netanyahu and all these things that uh, Netanyahu uh, did uh, to to uh, to hurt the bipartisanship. Uh, it's a strategic asset of Israel, the bipartisanship uh, of the American uh, support to Israel. Now, do you think, Yaakov Katz, that it's reversible? Do you think that Netanyahu can uh, mend this wound, or should we expect now a, a democratic revenge? Well, I think it depends a lot about who Biden brings in with him. I don't think Biden is out to, to get revenge. I also think that this administration is going to be very preoccupied with a lot of big issues, coronavirus, the U.S. economy, re, 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 uh, basically reestablishing America's standing in the world, which has declined uh, in places like Europe, in Africa, and South America. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We're just a little, a little you know, part of this, one, maybe one paragraph in the bigger story. But 
But, but I do think is that what we have to keep in mind, and, and you mentioning Ramat Shlomo is a perfect example, we forgot what it was like to have other administrations in office that aren't Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump was the anomaly. He wasn't the conventional president, right? George W. Bush, a Republican, he was the guy who came out with the roadmap for peace. He was the one who convened the Annapolis conference that was supposed to bring peace with the Palestinians. He's the one who told Ariel Sharon, you can only keep the settlement blocks, not other settlements. He's the one who wanted the outposts removed. And we remember him as a Republican pro-Israel, right? The, the standard approach in the United States is anti-settlements and pro-two-state solution. It's always been like that. Trump was the first to break and shatter that type of standard, right? Biden's going to go back to it. Now, the question is, what are we going to do? Are we going to just keep on pretending as if Trump is still in office and we can build what we want and we can ignore the Palestinians and we can do whatever we want in the West Bank and when it comes to Gaza? Or are we also going to readjust? And, and I think that that is something that Netanyahu needs to do. He needs to potentially change the way he speaks about America, change the way he speaks and reaches out to, to the U.S. audience and to even take something as small, Ben, as the Western Wall, right? Where we still don't have an egalitarian prayer plaza for men and women to pray together, something that he's promised for years. Now would be the perfect time to build that as a, as a way to reach out to progressive Jews, to show them that th th there, there are these channels of communication that Israel is taking them into consideration because we need them now more than ever. And, and that's really important. And that will also be the way, how do we deal with the settlements? How do we deal with the Palestinians? Is there now going to be outreach? Or is Netanyahu going to decide, I'm going to keep on doing what I've done. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to stand strong. And by the way, you know, you probably could explain this better than I, but, but politically, I'm not so sure it would be bad for him to fight with Biden because his base of voters, the right wing, they want to see a strong prime minister stand up to a U.S. president. They like that. So they would actually maybe even vote for him in bigger numbers if they see him stand up to Joe Biden on settlements, as an example. And, you know, he, he said, and I think he was right, that he outmaneuvered Obama for eight years. So why not try to outmaneuver uh, Biden for, in four years? Because no one knows if Biden will be, uh, will be there in uh, the next election. But, uh, you know, politically, the, this, the, the chances that he will do such a thing, for example, in the Western world, is very low because he depends on the Orthodox in Israel in order, uh, you know, to survive politically. Uh, right. uh, he faces a, a trial in January, so I think the expectations you are not you just uh, showed uh, is a little naive. Don't don't you think so? No, I, uh, listen. <laughs> I think you're right. In the end, if we've learned, if I've learned anything in this country, it's that especially with the Netanyahu government in all these years and, and now 11 years consecutively, is that politics come first. You see politics before pandemic when it comes to the way he runs the coronavirus, and you see that on everything, on every big decision. He'll first take into consideration political survival, especially because of the trial and that's resuming in January. He's going to have to be, I think, in court three days a week, all day long. He's got major issues. He has to decide now whether he goes to a new election or does he cave into Blue and White's demand, Benny Gantz's demand that he passes a 2021 state budget, which is what the country needs, except Netanyahu doesn't want to do it because he wants to have another exit point in March to potentially topple the government, which is not good for the country, but it might be good for him personally. So he puts himself first. But, but I also think is that, you know, at the end of the day, the question comes down to 
what do we what type of relationship do we want with the United States, especially when it comes to Biden? This is, I believe, and I don't want to sound too doomsday, but this might be our last chance to salvage relations with the Democratic Party. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the best Israel could have hoped for to come out of the Democratic uh, Party and to be on the Democratic ticket. They're both middle center establishment. They're not Bernie Sanders. They're not on the left extreme. They're center of the ground people. They're moderates. They're Bill Clinton-esque type of politicians. These are the people Israel should be embracing to work with and to hope that Biden can take the Democratic Party and steer it back to the center. I might be naive about that too, by the way, because there, there, there are trends in America that are, and we saw that with Black Lives Matter and Antifa and, and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, the squad, and what's happening in that party. It might be too late, but it might not be too late. And I think that we have in, in, in a strategic, almost, I would say, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, existential interest to find a way to work harmoniously with this administration and to hope that it can take the Democratic Party and keep it in the normal center moderate lane so that we can continue to be aligned with it for years to come. Yaakov Katz, this uh, was fascinating. Thank you for uh, being with us here in, uh, on Israel. Uh, we'll take a short break and come back right after this with uh, some closing remarks. Thank you, Yaakov. Thank you, Ben. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. Our guest today in On Israel podcast, uh, editor-in-chief of Jerusalem Post, Jacob Katz, assumes that uh, Netanyahu will have to use all his political skills in order to uh, heal the wounds in his relationship with the Democrats in general and Joe Biden. Although uh, Bibi and Biden are very close friends for uh, more than 30 years and everybody knows it, Biden, uh, like other Democrats, could not ignore the treaty, the alliance uh, that Netanyahu uh, had with uh, President Trump. And uh, as an example, the fact that Netanyahu was the last leader in the world to congratulate uh, uh, President-elect Biden. And until this moment, he did not use the phrase President-elect. So Bibi will have to do his best in order to keep the bipartisanship support of the Democrats and Republicans towards Israel as it was all these years. I hope you enjoyed uh, this conversation 
We will be here next Monday on Israel in Al Monitor. I am Ben Kaspi from Tel Aviv. Take care.